0: Coming soon to own on video cassette.
1: Back on the Y2K front, despite all of the assurances that the Y2K computer problems are under control. Team
2: debut of Star Wars to be the opening act for a multi-billion dollar summer show. Only one question remains. Just how many box office records can one movie break?
0: You take the blue pill. The story ends. I see dead people. Malkovich, Malkovich. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes.
2: I will not apologize to what I need. I will not apologize for what I want. Five, four, three, two, one. Happy 1999! Welcome to 1999, not literally, but the year that rocked cinema. Uh, My name is Jared Stossel. My name is Andrew Tucker. And we are doing a podcast where we are doing a deep dive of the over 200 or so films that came out in the year 1999, really dissecting why this was one of the most influential years in all of cinema. Um, This was a podcast that we've talked about doing for... A, we talked about doing a film podcast of some kind for about a year now. and I feel like it's this, been more like
1: 50 years.
2: If, if at, this point, at this point, everything feels like 50 years. <laughs> um, it literally feels like... I, I. What was it that our friend Kyle wrote the other day? He said, yo, why was March literally three months longer than all of April or something Seriously. like that? Seriously. It's what it feels like. That's what it feels like, it feels like man. Um, what day of quarantine are you on right now? I have no idea, dude. I'm at
1: the yeah, point at this- where I gave myself a haircut. So, that's how okay. far deep into it
2: I am. Um, it's not the best, but here we are. Yeah. Um, we started to jump into the idea much more once quarantine started because it's kind of like, I mean, if there's trying to look at a bright side to all of this. Obviously, what's going on in the world right now is awful. It's a very horrible thing, and we just kind of have to stay home and do what we can. But if there's any benefit in and positive side to all of this is that it's kind of forced people to either adapt to certain things, take on new projects, do things that are a little more creative, and really reflect on, um, really reflect on ourselves. Well, and
1: what it is, Jared, is that <laughs> we are forced. To reflect on our mortality now right that's what it is because we had this normal life you go about your day yeah and now suddenly maybe tomorrow you don't go about your day oh right and so the thing is as two young middle-class white men we have a lot of really important ideas that need to be captured <laughs> just in case we were to pass in an untimely way from the coronavirus because no one else is gonna have opinions like these
2: yeah if middle class is living in a one-bedroom apartment in uh, oakland then yes i'm definitely middle class
1: i would say in middle class in oakland that is 100 percent middle class
2: really oh yeah i can't tell if you're fucking with me or not because i really don't feel middle class at I, all. i
1: am not fucking with you because you don't live on a mattress on the sidewalk and you don't live in a mansion. And really, there is those two things and then everything in the middle. So All right, there yeah. you
2: go. Uh, this is... I think it's something about this show particularly is that when we were talking about the idea of doing something film-related and some kind of a podcast, I came across this book. Uh, I'd seen it for a while. I hadn't really uh, read it, but it was actually... Right before all the shit went down, it was announced that the libraries were going to be closing indefinitely based on all of this. You can't uh, reserve anything like they're not doing any online or like pickup spots kind of like other stores are doing if they're still remaining open. So it's kind of like uh, I had rented a bunch of movies actually beforehand. And I said, so what do I do with these? Do I put them in the because there's like a you
1: rented movies this year. Yeah. Like actual. Yeah. Copies of movies that you can hold in your hand.
2: Yeah, from the library. No it's wonder
1: like, you want to do a 1999
2: podcast. Yeah, exactly. Dude. No, it's, this motherfucker um, is still holding on to <laughs>
1: DVDs and shit.
2: Oh, dude, I have a lot of uh, DVDs still. It's uh, it's a uh, interesting point of this uh, point of contention. The right phrase between the wife and I about things <laughs> that I have all laid out in the shelf that she's like what you have this on this is streaming why do you have this and i'm like because i'm a hoarder
1: i don't (laughs) think that i've put anything into a slot in 10 years and i wish that i was just talking about dvds and vhs
2: (laughs) um so the reason i would do stuff with uh like going and physically renting movies so A lot of podcasts and things that I followed along with, they would have older films. A lot of those older films aren't streaming, and I was being very cheap. And a lot of people also don't remember that the library is actually a really great, when it was open, obviously, was a really great source and something that is, it's a public service and needs to be supported or else that I believe that can reflect funding in years To come and things like that. I don't know how the whole thing works. If the library is
1: closed, the homeless people are going to have to masturbate somewhere else.
2: Oh my god. (laughs) Uh, I'm trying to think if there's ever been a weird situation like that. Thankfully, I've never seen anything like that in any of the ones near me. Uh, the Oakland Public Library branch has actually been very good. Um, I've not had any issues with that. Other places, I couldn't tell you. Um, I couldn't. uh,
1: the Martin Luther King Library at San Jose State is a oh, god. seven story jack off yeah. palace for the homeless. Oh and my god. Over the course of my seven years of studying there, I saw some things.
2: Man. I and the only reason I said oh my god when I thought it is because I know that area of downtown and I know that after a certain period of time it gets very let's just say weird. Yeah, I would it's say weird. it's
1: usually pretty weird between like 12 a.m. and 11:59 p.m.
2: Okay, got it. <laughs> I never lived in downtown. so That's I, that's I, all I can't day. That. Did you live on campus at San Jose State or did you commute?
1: Absolutely not. I I drove there and I sat there and pretended to listen and then I drove home
2: and, and I now did that we're here.
1: for a long time. Yeah, I got a uh, <laughs> got a screenwriting degree. And uh, since I'm too lazy to write my own movie, I will talk about other people's <laughs> movies that they wrote 20 years ago.
2: Huh, that's triggering because I feel like I'm in the same spot with that. I got a degree in um, – my degree was in communications, um, but it was with an emphasis in cinema studies, so I had to do a short film. Um, I took – they the cool thing about the school that I did go to was that they didn't just have you focus on one thing. They had you – when you took a comm major, you had, you're going to take a class on journalism and then you'll take a class on public relations and public speaking. And they had, it you kind of do at least the intro classes to everything. So you got a feel for it. Okay. And then you added in the electives and things like that. And then I think there was like a general media and communication thing that I remember taking. Um, but, um, so how, yeah. how
1: is that going to help us, Jared? Are, are we, are we trying to tell the people that we're qualified to be talking
2: about these things? I guess so. I guess that's kind of where this was going, and I just <laughs> went with it to see how we could, what this meant. Basically, we're both very interested in film, but we did meet uh, through music. And you apparently, I think you knew me before I even like knew you because you told me that you had uh, like uh, stickers on your guitar case for some for like a thing that I was working on. Like many years ago And I was I We were at like a Demon and Me Demon and Me was a band you previously played in Um We were at a music video thing And I saw your guitar case And I was like wait what the fuck How do you have that And then we started talking And I realized that you had I recognized the band It was Paris to the Moon Was that yep, the that Yeah was, it was, That was it That was like 10 years ago
1: Yeah Yeah people don't forget unfortunately Uh <laughs> I liked you guys. You guys are good. Well, that's, you know, like everything else on this podcast, that is a matter of opinion. (laughs) And I'm glad that that is the opinion you have. Um, I'm not sure it's the opinion I have, but that's okay.
2: That's all right. That's what makes Um,
1: this fun, right, is we have different opinions on things.
2: It is. Um, I guess the first thing that we're going to break down with this is just kind of how the structure of the show is going to go. Um, first and foremost, as I said at the top of this um, at the top of this podcast, this is a show where over the next this I mean this could probably last a couple of years at this point depending on how we do it how we structure the episodes we're gonna do a deep dive of every film every wide release theatrical film um, that came out during. Uh, the year 1999, uh, the book that I had found and that I'd kind of started to talk about before we went off on the, the whole library tangent, which yes, I do use the library cause it saves a lot of money and it's a great public resource. Um, it was called best movie year ever. It's by a, uh, gentleman named Brian Raftery, uh, who I believe is a writer at Wired, I think wrote for variety. I am not a hundred percent correct, but, um, I will dig into that a little bit more for the show notes. um. He wrote this book that was basically this pitch saying that 1999 was one of the most influential years, and in, if not the most, in all of cinema. And when we start talking about some of the movies that came out during this year later um, later on in the show, he makes a really good case for it, and it's really hard to argue to argue with it. I think that when you're looking back at history, the three decades that have appealed to me the most are the 70s the 80s and the 90s from like a historical background because the 70s was kind of where everything was started in terms of modern filmmaking in terms of the stories that were being told the directors that were there um the 70s is obviously that's when george lucas that's when martin scorsese francis for coppola all of these directors that made these very influential films came about um the 80s really amplified that steven spielberg made a shit ton of movies in that era that were all very, like, adventure films. It was full of science fiction, full of great dramatic films. And then the 90s come around, and that is kind of... Some of the older masters from those eras were on their way out, but their impact was still very much... It was imprinted in this next generation of filmmakers. And some of the people who were around in the '70s and the '80s that were considered and still are considered the masters were taking everything that they had learned from that point and making just these amazing films. I mean, obviously, uh, the first episode that we're gonna do after this is talking about Star Wars Episode One, The Phantom Menace, which we'll get when we get into that is really gonna talk about how that may be one of the most, um, really, regardless of whether you thought about the writing or. The, the cast or w- whatever gripes you may have with it without the CGI and the technology that was developed specifically for that movie, we really wouldn't have any of the CGI stuff that we have today. And if we did, That's it true. would just, it would be very far away from right now. Um, we wouldn't ha- have it as quickly as we did and adapted into so many other films. And that really speaks to Lucasfilm and industrial light and magic for everything that they pushed. But, um, there are a number of films like that throughout this entire year, and basically the structure of this episode, every episode is going to be about a film. Um, the three main, the f- There's four main things we're going to talk about. The first is setting the scene, which is what is the movie, when did it come out, what's it about, director, writer, some of like the key facts about who was involved with it. The making of, which is probably going to be a good chunk of the episode, which we'll be talking about. Stories of how it was made, the production process, particularly if you're talking about something like Star Wars, it's half of the set got destroyed when they first got to Tunisia where they filmed it. Um, and it was like 120 degrees every day. Like there, it was it was crazy Bro, and it was ridiculous. Oh, you shit away from the next episode, <laughs> man. <laughs> there's I mean, there's a lot more that I'll get into. Um, any kind of production hiccups, success stories, things like that. Um, The release of it of the film itself, what was the reception, critical or box office, and then even with saying, I mean, some of these movies made very much under what they had for a budget and they didn't break even. Uh, Fight Club was a movie that barely made um, any money when it was released. Everybody thought it was too weird, thought it was too violent and strange, and now it is in... I swear to God, is it a, a photo of Tyler Durden is in every single, like, dorm room for a fraternity guy in America. And that's not that's not an assumption. That is a fact. If you go in, I swear to God, it is like a thing. And it's also strange that you're idolizing him because it means you didn't get the movie. But we'll talk about that later when we get to that episode. Um, and the final part of this is talking about the impact after 1999. How has, if it even has said film impacted cinema, the media, and the world post 1999 up to today? Has it still stayed its course 21 years later? Um, now, given that this is just kind of an introduction to the basically to this whole show, this is a pretty short episode just kind of breaking down um, how we're going to do it and what will be laid out. Let's really briefly talk about some of the films that were released. I'm going to read the first... Uh, let me pull up the list, but I'm going to read the first 10 episodes, that, like the films that we're going to be covering, just to kind of give a sense of what stories are going to be talked about in this coming up. So these are the first, according to, I believe, Box Office Mojo, Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace, The Sixth Sense, Toy Story 2, The Matrix... Disney's Tarzan, the animated version. Uh, the Mummy, Notting Hill, uh, The World is Not Enough, the uh, 007 film with Pierce Brosnan, um, one of them. American Beauty, and then Austin Powers' The Spy Who Shagged Me. That was Those were the 10 highest-grossing films of the entire year, and that really gives input as to... I think it's a really good indication of where pop culture and where media was at. At that period of time what I guess what about that list sticks out to you when you when I just name off those 10 names
1: dude I think the crazy thing for me about that is that only one of those movies that you listed is a sequel right so the 1999 was a time when a lot of really original stuff was still coming out I think it's a time period when a lot of those new ideas that maybe wouldn't have been made in those earlier decades actually started to make sense. And people started to make like really original movies. Um, if we were to do this podcast about, you know, the 2010s or, or even today, probably most of that list would have been sequels yeah, or remakes or do-overs or something like that. Right. So, I mean, Toy Story 2 is the only true sequel I think in that installment um, 007 I, I don't look at that as a sequel I look at that as an installment in a franchise yeah. I think yeah. about that a little bit differently um, oh, I think Aust- that's what Austin pa-
2: Powers was a sequel This was the, That was the second one But even then most of that list is original
1: um, 70% is original I think So yeah, that's that's wild to me I think it's pretty cool That some of these things started out And are just like blowing up Into these crazy different monsters today yeah. we we could talk about that a little bit with Star Wars like everything that's yeah. come from the Phantom Menace because without that movie like we're not still getting Star Wars movies released no, as recently not. as last year right so <laughs> i think that's that's what fascinates me kind of the most about this is like the opportunity to go back and look at some of these really original ideas some of these things that were starting to break the rules a little bit i think in 1999 it was like hey fuck it let's just try it And I don't know if that's because people saw Y2K coming up and they're like, hey, we may not have a chance to make another movie after this. You know, like the technology we have right now might not be here tomorrow, so fuck it. Let's just, let's go full send. Yeah. So I don't, I mean, we'll learn more about that thought process and and how these things got made as we go through this, which is super exciting. Um, But I, I just think it's cool that so many people were throwing their hat in the ring and seeing what they could do. It's, it's awesome.
2: Yeah. There's, I mean, even when you look at, um, in the Best Movie your Ever book, all of the films that he's referencing, because obviously he doesn't write about all 250 of them. Um, there's only, I think it's like a 250-page book that condenses down some of That's the- That's one page per movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. That's a good point. Um, but if you look at some of the other original films that came out, even if they didn't gross- I mean, Office Space, Fight Club. Uh, I'm just I'm scrolling Blair through this list. The Blair Witch Project was one a really big one. Run Lola Run, uh, American Pie, which turned into a franchise after that. Um, there's there's so many interesting movies that stick out on this because I think what's I think what's also really cool is that you see the beginning of all sorts of original stories coming out that are, or being based off of books that maybe aren't necessarily huge. They're just, uh, they didn't have to necessarily make the New York Times bestseller list. They're just novels that people would find because that was, there was a book I read years ago that I I don't know if Hollywood still works like this, but when they would hire interns at CAA, um, they would, after they start in the mail room, because that's like a rite of passage that everybody kind of works delivering scripts and things like that, when they get assigned to be a reader, they're not just reading scripts; they're reading um, novels and books that get sent in, and seeing this would be would this be a good match for a writer? Would this be a good thing to adapt into a screenplay? And they're kind of tasked with that. Um, and I think that's interesting to see that there really are. I've noted in this sheet that we have like a number of movies that were based off of novels. Like Fight Club is obviously a novel. Um, you have films good old like Chucky P. Yeah. Uh, you have films like Being John Malkovich that are just strange and weird, but yet they really work. You have one of the best sci-fi comedies of all time, Galaxy Quest releasing at Christmas, um, all the way to Magnolia. And I think even until like the last the last film that came out in all of t- 1999 was a movie called The Hurricane. Which was a biopic directed by Norman Jewison, who did an amazing film in this. Um, I think it was in the '70s called "In the Heat of the Night." Um, it was either the '60s or the '70s, um, and it starred Denzel Washington. And it was like an award contender at the Academy Awards the next year, and all of that. Like there were so many people that were just trying to get something in under the wire. Maybe uh, kind of like you were saying about maybe it was because. People really did think the world was going to end, or they wanted to leave their mark in the decade, and they wanted to do everything that they could to say, "I made a movie during this, during the 20th century." Rather than that, that's a good point. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about it that way.
1: The other thing, man, is like 1999. I was looking at a timeline of kind of just major events from 1999 because I was nine and ten years old in that year, and I don't remember a lot of stuff. It was kind of a fucked up year, man. Like, looking at the list of stuff that happened, it's like, you had the whole Clinton fiasco. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had some NATO bombings, you had Columbine, you had, like, a really horrible earthquake in Turkey. It was, like, all kinds of really terrible shit. Um, Ricky Martin was huge, so, speaking of terrible shit that happened in 1999, um, <laughs> George Bush announced his candidacy, which, looking back on that, I would take again and again. Uh, (laughs) You know, and then so there's just all kinds of weird, like negative stuff going on, and I think that looking at this list, some of the only real positive things are movies coming out, like The Matrix being released, is on this list of things that happened in 1999 as a major event, and so that's interesting when when you have a movie like that that kind of crosses out of pop culture news and into just like general world news. Here's what happened this year. I think that's interesting. And in 1999, a lot of the movies came out were of that quality. So it's, it's going to be fascinating to, to look back at all this stuff, man. I'm excited about it. And there's so many of these that I haven't seen or so many that I saw me neither when I was younger and I don't remember them or I remember them and I probably don't remember them very well or I used to love them and now I'm going to watch them again and realize there's all kinds of problematic shit that's yeah. not funny anymore.
2: I feel like that's probably going to happen a little more often than we think. <laughs> I, I, I have
1: a feeling it's going to happen almost every time. I feel like like most of these, there's going to be stuff where we're like, oh boy, and yeah. not just stuff like American Beauty, which is like obviously like, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, and... Not just that some of these were produced by the Weinsteins or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, there's yeah. going to be innocent, quote-unquote, things from when we were kids that we just kind of laughed off that now we're like, oh, uh-uh, you don't do that now. Yeah, exactly. So it's that's interesting. And that's a, that's an interesting conversation, too, about, like, how does society inform what's going to be in these kinds of movies? And how yeah. do these kind of movies inform what's in society right like it's a push and exactly. a pull so we'll yeah. talk about that kind of stuff too yeah. we're gonna get a little deep in addition to being fun and i weird. like that
2: i like that For each episode of this show, we're going to try and host an interview of some kind. For our inaugural episode, our guest is the former senior writer at Wired Magazine and has had stories featured in publications such as the New York Times, Esquire, and GQ. He is also the author of two books, one of which is Best Movie Year Ever, How 1999 Blew Up the Big Screen. Please welcome to the show, Mr. Brian Raftery. I guess, first things first, in your own personal research when did you start to, I guess, realize the unique aspects that were part of the year 1999 when it came to cinema? Like, what was when was the first moment or moments when that really jumped out at you?
0: Uh, you know, weirdly, I had sort of lived through it. I mean, I, I, so in the summer of 1999, I started interning at Entertainment Weekly, which was like the first job I had where I could go to screenings and I could see a lot more movies than I could um, having spent the last few years in Pennsylvania um, in school. And even that fall, that fall um, Entertainment Weekly even did a cover story like the year to change movies. And I remember being surrounded by all these like very smart movie people who were getting very excited about the year. And I was just like, movies are always great. Like This is a great year. Was like, hey. It was like, you know, 23, 24. And I'd come up, you know, I sort of really my formative movie going years that really kind of started with the, you know, I'd come. Grew up watching blockbusters, but then I'd gone to the indies in the 90s. So I was always used to, you know, having a good movie year. I don't think I quite put together at that time, um, just how rare and unique that year was going to be. And then, so years later, I mean, like 15, 16 years later, uh, I was thinking about 99 just in general as a culture, as a pop cultural year that was really interesting because um, you, you know, you had the teen, bo- teen pop and new metal, and you had all you had Napster starting. You had you know, even in politics, you had Donald Trump talking about running for president the first time, and it seemed like, you know, it was a really interesting year that also had this underlying and you know tension of Y2K, which for people who are too young, and everyone kind of makes fun of Y2K now, but it was genuinely an unsettling um, prospect. I mean, it was on the cover of Newsweek and Time magazine, kind of as a wink, but it was like the world could end at the end of this year or something bad was going to happen. Right, yeah. So I feel like you had all these things like The Sopranos and, and you know, John Stewart really sort of started politics on The Daily Show in 99. He'd taken the show over earlier so he had A lot of really interesting things going on, but it really wasn't until I started doing interviews for the book and piecing together just how, um, just how much the movies that year reflected that anxiety in lots of weird ways. Like I don't think I'd ever really connected a movie like The Matrix good movie like being John Malkovich probably until I started thinking about them Uh, movies about identity about swapping your bodies and about what technology can do connection so it's really sort of the more I dug and the more I realized wait that that movie was 99 too I mean because you know it's it's very hard to make a top 10 list just even just the best known movies of that year like Fight Club and office space and three kings and malkovich it's a hard top ten list to make but then you start looking at movies you know a movie i talk about a lot is is which is not a movie that even wound up in the book is deep blue sea because you look at deep blue sea and you're like this is like a great piece of like 80 million dollar monster movie made by by like it's an 80 million dollar monster b movie not based on anything and those movies we didn't know at the time but those kind of movies are kind of gone now you don't get that kind of budget and that kind of cast, it makes something unless it's based on a book or a comic. So even movies like that or the teen movies of that year, you know, you had this, you had so many teen movies. They made almost half a billion dollars in the U.S. It's insane. You know, Varsity Blues is, a, is a, Varsity Blues spent more time, you know, in the, the box office top five than Fight Club. <laughs> you know, it's like, so all, all these little mini movements going on at the time when movies were really kind of it. I mean, TV was starting to get better. Uh, you know obviously music and pop music especially were big video games were big but movies were the big big it was the biggest part of popular culture and so for me it was just kind of fun to keep finding more films being like oh wow I didn't realize you know that we'd have a you know a movie I, mean, I have this big pile right here next to me and it's like oh yeah like even uh like Cruel Intentions like that's that's a kind of like a kind of soapy sleazy teen movie you get away with back in 1999 that was a huge hit you know and Those sort of things feel more and more far away. So I think the further we got away from 99, the more um, special we started to realize it was.
2: Yeah. One of the things Andrew had brought up yesterday when we started recording, or uh, it was other, we recorded on, sorry, two days ago we recorded um, the introduction episode to this. And he brought up something really interesting was that if you look at the top 10 highest grossing films of that entire year only two of them are sequels and the rest are all completely original right. stories other than maybe like james bond which is part of an ongoing yeah. series it's been around since the 60s right. but everything else is like a completely original idea or original yeah. film
0: i mean two. i mean it's, it's, what's crazy to me is that you know obviously phantom menace is number one that year but i think number two is sixth sense which not only was a huge movie that movie played for 10 months i mean it just and it kept doing well. If you look at the box if you go on I mean, I think Basaf Guru has been kind of destroyed now, but if you go on the archives board and look weekend by weekend, it just never wasn't making millions of dollars every weekend. It was just a, you know, it got a it got an Oscar bump. But back then a movie like that that was original could just play for almost a year, which is crazy. Or six or um, Blair Witch, which is also you know kind of the, the cousin to the sixth sense. That too, it's like Hundred what? 150 million dollars? 140 million dollars? That is ridiculous. I mean, it's perfect. I love that movie, but that's that also played for months and months and months because people were going to see it, partly because they kind of hated it too. So people going to see. It.
2: So, <laughs> you know, it's,
0: it's weird to have a movie last so long that like there's the first wave of people who really embrace it, and then there's a the second wave of people who go see one or two movies a year and then they catch it. And then like with the Blair Witch project. Everyone suddenly just had to see it because it was playing for two and a half months, three months, and you had to go see what it was about. Even if you were someone who would never go see a horror movie, you just had to go see the movie everyone was talking about.
1: Yeah. It was so new. Yeah. Such an original concept. Yeah, And
0: and it was very divisive. And it was funny. When I was interviewing people for the book, including a lot of actors and filmmakers, pretty much everyone I interviewed who was between 20 and 30, 35 in 1999 loved Blair Witch and everyone who was like mid 30s or higher at, the, at that year were like oh, I gotta tell you I hated that movie so much like, <laughs> like a generational I mean I, and I understand I was 23 24 whatever and I loved it I thought it was super cool I remember being at that screening, which is like a weird tactile memory to have um but I also remember people I work with being like that was what did I just watch you know what is this weird shit you know <laughs> Crazy movie.
2: yeah i think one of my favorite parts of the book that you had referenced is when you're talking about blair witch and there's a piece i think it was tay diggs who said he watched the film and he said afterwards there was A Q&A <laughs> of people that came on and he said my jaw dropped because i thought that was a real thing i was like wait this was a move like this was a filmed fake yeah. movie, like how are they yeah. alive?
0: <laughs> yeah, that was really fun. I mean the internet was still so I mean the two big internet movies of that year really were the Phantom Menace and and Blair Witch because Phantom Menace had just started. I mean the rumors I mean I was following all that stuff in college. I mean I was trying to avoid spoilers but I was so obsessed with Phantom Menace, which I knew was going to be the greatest movie of all time. Of course, I knew it was going to be great. no way that could have backfired. Um, I was reading like the Force.net and Dark Horizons and Ina Cool*. So on, on one hand, you had like this sort of new sort of hype cycle the internet was building, but the Blair Witch did something that no one else would ever be able to do again, which was, there were months and months and months because they built this, But filmmakers built that site. And there were all these months where you could go online and be like, is this real? But the nice thing was, because the internet was sort of still so young and people were kind of frankly not obsessed with proving how right they were, I think if you knew it was fake, you would be like, it was a little bit of a wink involved where it's like, I know this isn't real, but you know what, I'm going to kind of convince myself it is because it's so much more fun to be like, oh, is this a real, is this, these kids, is this really a snuff film documentary? And no, I mean, like, it's a fake, you know, it's like, you know, it's like you weren't having, the Blair Witch came out now, Twitter would just be like, I saw it, it sucked, it's fake, you know, it wouldn't, like, open.
1: Oh, yeah, well, I mean, fourth kind, Paranormal Activity, all that stuff that's come out in a similar vein in the last few years.
2: Yeah, I I feel like Paranormal paranormal Activity almost put kind of a twist on it and put it into the pop culture atmosphere for a little while, and then every, because it kind of, it presented it in a new way that was like, with security camera footage, rather than yeah. somebody just with a camera, and then suddenly everybody tried to make the exact yeah. same film, and then it was just kind of like uh, another one. right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, Blair Witch was
0: sort of influential, but then you look at it, you're right. I mean, Paranormal Activity was also like six, seven years after that. Like, no one really, no one really kind of seized upon the found footage idea quite like those guys did. Because I cause I, don't, I think they did the best job, frankly. I, I think I love the Blair Witch. I really do think it's a very effective.
2: I agree yeah that was I, I mean it's still i've never seen anything uh, up until that point when we started getting a bunch of found footage movies I uh, i'd never seen anything oh really yeah I um i think yeah, the trippy would...
1: thing there is like saying that that blair witch and six Sense were the two kind of long-running box office ones and looking at the fact that six Sense relies on a twist not being spoiled right. and blair witch relies on sort of that whole conceit not right. being spoiled and nowadays it's like you can't even get to the end of a game of Thrones episode before it's spoiled on Twitter by the East coast. Right. Yeah. So it's, yep. it's kind of amazing that those two things had such a long run.
0: Yeah. I'm grateful that those, I mean, I think there was a, I think there was a sense of like, let's preserve the secret. And also like, honestly, if you ruined a movie for someone back then, you were kind of a dick. It's just sort of like, it wasn't, it wasn't <laughs> yes. the thing to do. Mean, it wasn't like, it wasn't like first, you know, it, that kind of culture didn't, uh, exist, I think, for for you know, I'm not one to look too bad, be- too much on the past and wish it were wish it were still the way it was. But that I do feel like the internet was a slightly less crowded, slightly maybe five percent kinder place. <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
2: You know? Yeah, I think it's interesting, and and what that speaks to because when I think when it was any of the big Marvel movies or any of the newer Star Wars films, I realized that. As it would get closer to it, I would go, oh, shit, somebody's going to yeah. spoil this for me. So I would delete all of my social media apps. I wouldn't look at anything because I was like, yeah. I'm not letting someone ruin this for me. Um, and I feel like now that's the kind of world that we live in. Like, if you don't want something spoiled, you have to delete everything or you like, don't look at your yeah. phone. Don't look at anything or else it, it just it, it's a bummer. But I'm also, like you said, really glad that I got to have that experience to some degree before social media really took off because it made it an event it made it something really really yeah. special no I,
0: and i can't imagine what the phantom menace would have been like in the social media age because i think you know i remember um i remember i somehow i had i wasn't at Entertainment weekly yet but i somehow like managed to convince the studio to let me see an early screening in philadelphia and i remember coming back and being like it's, it's i remember waking up my parents and i was like i think it sucked and like I was telling, and I have friends who weren't going to see it for two more weeks, and they're like, "Oh my god, what do you think?" And I'm like, "I don't think I can say anything. You really should just go see it." Like I was trying so hard. Like yeah. I'm sure now I'd be like, I would, you know, it would just be like after those screenings, the, the entire internet would have been like, just destroying, just <laughs> destroying that movie, um, and understanding under, it in some ways. Yeah.
2: When did when did the idea for writing this book come to fruition? Like I know you had mentioned that you'd obviously. You were writing for Entertainment Weekly, you were attending all these screenings, and you started to think about it a little bit after that, but what did the idea for writing the book come about?
0: Uh, it was many years after that. I think I started thinking about, I, I actually started this as, I was thinking about doing a book on Y2K, I started thinking about this in like 2016 I think, I was just sort of fascinated by the direction in which the world was heading. Um, um, but I was thinking about Y2K and I was like, well, maybe a book about Y2K, you know, people who were y 2 k obsessed but that didn't seem the like book. And then I was just, I had a book proposal for a book that would have actually been about all these different 99 cultural phenomenons with the, you know, like, like well, again, whether it was Britney Spears or the arrival of Eminem or Columbine, just started pulling together all these different threads. And then um, a book editor, Simon sister, actually came to me and said, you know, what if you wrote about all of those things you're interested in from that year, but you did it through the prism of the movies. And that was much more fun. And I think the movies for me were the most fun because there's just so much of it. And I think um, you could just really pull whichever films you wanted and you could really make a case for their inclusion. You could also just pull in everything that was kind of going on in the culture and the world in the late nineties. And so, you know, even a movie like The Insider which wasn't like a smash hit, but you can look at that movie and be like, oh media conglomeration and and big corporate takeovers of our lives I mean, that's all in that movie as well and it's aside from just being a movie with a great kind of behind the scenes story and a great insane bunch of people making it
1: that's kind of that ties into one of the questions that i wanted to ask you which is you know looking back and thinking i was nine or ten years old in 99 so a lot of that stuff happening outside of the movies i didn't really know too much about you know i'd see whatever my parents were watching on the news but um What do you think is is kind of like the biggest thing that I can learn by going back and and watching those movies from 99 that I maybe never saw? Is there something about our culture back then that that you think we'll take away from that?
0: It's really interesting. I mean, I do think, especially now when we're living in a time of, of, I mean, real just kind of anxiety, not just about what's going to happen, but the bad thing has arrived. I mean, I do think you can look at those movies as being about the last few years of the 90s, which the 90s always felt like it had this kind of really firm deadline at the end of it, and maybe something bad was going to happen. Um, And I think you can kind of see what that anxiety spins off into. It's like, I mean, I think those, what's interesting about those movies, all the movies that year is that it's filmmakers who are either kind of very afraid of a particular thing or just sort of interested in a particular thing. Like the Wachowskis are definitely very interested in what technology will literally, how it can literally change us and maybe empower us. you know, the Matrix is interesting because I think over the years, I remember some people saying, well, that's a very anti-technology movie. And some people say, are you kidding? That's like such so a pro-technology of where the future can go and the optimism, you know. So a movie can really interesting to look at and be like, okay, is this an optimistic movie or, you know, cutting out the sequels and whatever they added to it. But like, you know, is this a, is this an optimistic vision, future of the, a vision of the future or is it a, a warning? And I think to their credit, the Wachowskis, who never comment on this stuff publicly and don't do interviews? I think they kind of let it just hang there. Um, so I think you can certainly see a lot of like this kind of like sense of foreboding. But I also think you know it's uh, you know a movie like Boys Don't Cry is just interesting as a social document because this was right after this this young kid named Matthew Shepard had been killed, and this is right when they're making this movie. And I think uh, people who are younger now, I mean, I, homophobia has not gone away. It's just that. I think you can see. I think there's a younger generation, which thank God does not have many of whom do not have the same uh, hatred and hang-ups and, and, and cruelty that I think Gen X, some young Gen Xers had at that point. Even, and I think you can really see um, just how, how how really brutal it was to be uh, queer in the '90s in that movie, and also how wonderful it could be to find people who accepted you. I mean, there's a lot of stuff there that I think I think maybe people a little younger would take for granted that were real challenges in the '90s. And I think certainly acceptance of others um, and acceptance of where the world was going was was
2: one of them. So we'll wrap this up with uh, just, I I guess, one last question to kind of reflect on this year. Um, Because we were talking a little bit about this as well when we were recording the other day about how this really was an influential year, not just in the kinds of stories that were told, but also in the way that films were made in the sense of looking at something like Star Wars, which literally had to, without... I think George Lucas has even said without Jar Jar Banks we wouldn't have certain kinds of motion capture and avatar and anything with that because yeah. it was the first real motion capture character. But which film from 1999 or films do you think had the most impact on our cinematic culture and our style of filmmaking today?
0: Well, that's interesting. I mean, I think, you know, we were discussing Blair Witch, and I don't think, you know, as we're saying, that, that sort of pioneered or really popularized a style that no one – that didn't really take off. It wasn't like, you know, like I said, there weren't like 500 million Blair Witch knockoffs. I do think that the big story of that year is digital, but it's a very, it's, you know, I think Blair Witch, what's interesting is less the what's on screen, but how it was made, which is, you know, digital editing, being able to throw scenes together very quickly. You know, I had to cut a lot of the making of stuff from Blair Witch because there was just so much of it. Those guys really fought over, what kind of movie that would be, whether it would be a longer, kind of more mytho- mythologically dense kind of movie, or whether it be this kind of lean, choppily, you know, intentionally choppily edited movie. And the reason why they could make two versions of that and decide which one they wanted was because they were using digital editing, you know, and they were shooting on um, digital. And I think, yeah, Star Wars and Matrix, absolutely, you look at the CGI and you're like, you know, you don't, you know, I think Attack of the Clones, Lucas took it further and way too far, but you can keep, you, know, you watch Phantom Menace, there's certain scenes where you're like, there's this world is not here. It's just they're in a giant green soundstage, to the Matrix, where it's just sort of like, oh, you can create these mostly pretty realistic, you know, uh, approximations of life and worlds uh, on a stage. Um, but weirdly, I, I I really feel like the, you know, I think the movie that kind of, maybe the movie that sort of had the biggest footprint in a lot of ways, in a lot of different ways of filmmaking is, I think it maybe night Club* just because I feel like that movie really sort of, even though it was not a hit when it came out, I think that movie, if you take away all the cultural and sort of ma- ideas about masculinity and society and, and stuff like that, if you even just move that away, I mean, Fight Club is in itself a movie with a lot of really interesting CGI and sort of showed what you can do with effects in a, in a movie that does not take place in space or take place, you know, in, some, in the future. It's, it feels very much like the beginning of, and Fincher would do this a lot. I mean, the social network is kind of like, I mean, Social Network is probably the best CGI movie of all time because it's not till like a year and a half later where you're like, oh, Andrew Garfield's breath is is not real, and no one was doing it like that. People were using CGI, people were only using CGI to sort of show off or, or demonstrate something. They weren't just sneakily putting it in there. I think, I think Fight Club and just the fact that it was it was an unreliable narrator in a sense, and the fact that it was the pace at which it moved. I think a lot of people have tried to take the spirit of that movie and and, and also just try to make a movie about twenty first century ideas using twenty first century technology. Um yeah, I think I think Fight Club, maybe it's Fight Club. Tomorrow I might have a different answer. Yesterday I would have had a different answer. There's a lot of movies, you know, Office Space is still like the most ripped off right, yeah. comedy. They're still making commercials with people in cubes who look exactly like Office Space, <laughs> yep, you know? And now no one's going to offices so now Office Space probably seems like less of a of like probably seems more utopic than it did twenty years ago now. Yeah, right? Right now. I would love to have annoying co-workers come up behind me and not feel like they're about to kill me with, with, uh, with some sort of virus oh, by I getting too yeah. close. Like that, Office Space is like a dream. Now. Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I'll take the PC low letters all day. Yes. Yeah, exactly. you get to be in a
0: room with a few friends and plot something together? Great.
2: <laughs> I had a friend who um, worked at a music, at like a guitar center, and he always always quote he started coming up to me one day and i'd seen the movie but he's like i didn't um have like a i had like a lanyard or something that would have like buttons and your name tag and he just looked at me he's like where's your flare man and i was like what <laughs> and it took me a minute and i was like oh you're you're quoting office space and uh then he i mean he like verbatim quoted that entire scene and i was like this is amazing <laughs> to me that like 15 years later at the time it was still like completely yeah. irrelevant so Oh yeah. yeah, no it's
0: it's that that's one cable and DVD helped to make a lot of these movies, but I think like I think Office Space is the one that benefited the most from just being on TV every day. It seemed like from like yeah. two thousand and two to two thousand six. Right, absolutely.
2: Um, well, <laughs> yeah. Brian, thank you so much. Um, where can people? Oh, yeah. Where can people find uh, the book uh, Best Movie Ever? Where can people find you online? And uh, anything else you want to plug, uh, please do.
0: No, I mean, I, the book will, I I just found out some bookstores are going to reopen soon. So you can, you can find the paperback, which came out in a bookstore. It's also, you know, bookshop.org or if you want to use Amazon or I said almost an Amazon, <laughs> uh, which is my, which is my ripoff site that no one ever goes to. Uh, and then I, I have a Twitter account, but honestly, I do so little tweeting nowadays. But if you want to, I just post what stories I've written or published. So I, I don't get in the fray anymore. I don't, <laughs> I really don't. I've, I've, I think the best part of this whole uh, social breakdown is I've realized I don't need social media as much as I would much rather spend that time zooming with people and, and texting with friends and calling people. So, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to stay healthy by staying offline For <laughs> sure. if I For sure. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I yeah. feel that. Excellent, man. Well, hey, thank you very much. Uh, we'll let Thanks, you know. Uh, we'll let yeah. you know when this runs. And uh, thank yeah. you again. Yeah.
1: Thanks, man. Good luck. And don't anything else.
2: Sounds good. Right. good. Take, take it, it easy. Take care. Take Bye. It. Um, I think another thing that did stick out to me particularly about this year and how um, some of the films that were released as well, you had some major, you had some of the major players in Hollywood that were releasing films so that were really masters of their genre. So if you look at like Harold Ramis released a comedy, you had Ron Howard releasing kind of a comedy drama film from what I understand. I've never seen Ed TV, so... Um, but I know that's on there, and I think it's kind of been marketed as a dramedy. Uh, Clint Eastwood did film like, like some of the usual people that you would expect to release a movie um, as part of a like larger year. Robert Altman is another one. David Mamet had a film come out, um, but then you have people who are releasing films that are. Maybe not their most well-known piece of work, but it's the thing that defines them and gets them started in the careers that they have now. Give me an Um, example. I dare you. (laughs) Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels was made by Guy Ritchie, who a couple years later made Snatch. Um, Went on to make, uh, I'm blanking, but he just released a movie called The Gentleman. Um, I believe he did the Kingsman series that came out And it really defines. So fucking good. Yeah. uh, They've defined their styles and really kind of got off the ground. Uh, David O'Russell directed a movie called Three Kings that came out. And then that, David O'Russell went on to make American Hustle and Joy. And uh, what was the other film? I'm looking this up because I'm blanking on it. There was another, like. If it wasn't American Hustle, there was another bigger film that he was also involved with. The Fighter um, with uh, Mark Wahlberg and Christian Bale and Amy Adams. And then he did Silver Linings Playbook like the next year. So it was really the beginning of all of these people getting something in and kind of throwing their hat into the ring for the next pretty much the next like 20 years of film, which is really crazy. Um, technically, I don't even think at that point, David Fincher was a huge name. Um, but then he decided to make Fight Club and while it didn't pick up right away, he got, I mean, his films are the social network, Gone Girl, uh, Zodiac. He's made some amazing, amazing films and it's all, it was almost like a launching ground. You could even make that argument about the nineties itself, but this year in particular, is just it's crazy some of the shit that you can find, and I'm also I must say I'm very excited because I know a lot of uh, the big budget blockbuster films that they tried to make. They were made in the '90s, so they don't necessarily hold up well, and I'm very excited to kind of see which way that goes. So, are you these- <laughs> are you talking specifically
1: about Wild Wild West? Right now, that is one of them that like I'm interested in looking about at. Wild, wild west, right now.
2: I wasn't talking specifically about it, but I'm interested in it. Um... Yes, you were. Don't lie. The whole reason that
1: you want to do this podcast is because you've been trying to get someone to talk to you about fucking wild, wild west for twenty years, and now you finally have an excuse. You're like, we're in quarantine. He can't go anywhere else. He can't do anything else. He's trapped. He has to listen to me talk about Wild Wild West. was it going
2: that intense, but all right, if you want, to put it that, n- not as intense, not as intense as that, but yeah, sure. Why not? Um, no, I think it's even funny that there was a video that came out last year that, uh, Will Smith started, a, I think a YouTube channel. I think I can't keep up with what every social platform people are doing, but I'm pretty you sure... So you don't have
1: your Will Smith notifications turned I on? I don't have my Will Smith notifications Son turned on. Son of a bitch. He's a
2: very lovely man. I love his movies, but also, I just, I barely... I don't use YouTube that well. Um, but, I guess he did this thing where he's talking about... He would do these little video series, and he may still do them, where it would kind of talk about a certain point in history in his film career, or answer questions, or do a different video each week for a story. So, he did one that talked about how he was originally supposed to be neo in the matrix and he said the wachowskis didn't pitch it the way that stuck out to me they obviously refined it and keanu reeves got on board later and he said i think actually keanu ended up obviously ended up defining the role and it was great he said i went and did wild wild west and then there's like a little montage of the clip and then the music cuts and he's like yeah, not my best choice.
1: <laughs> well, you know, sometimes people make mistakes. Yeah. Um, and then they have to live with the unfortunate consequences of those mistakes for the rest of their lives.
2: And even even then, there's worse mistakes that people have made. Well, I don't know if that's true. Uh, anything that uh, Rob Schneider's pretty much done? Okay. After a certain fair, point. Fair. After a certain point. Fair. After a certain point,
1: yes. Um, you mean like after he was born? After they, that point, because that certain... is a certain point in his life, and most of the things that happened after that point were a mistake.
2: There are certain roles I have found him very funny in, and there's name, things that name one. 50 name first a half of one fifty-first dates. Fifty-first dates. I thought he was hysterical. Okay. I thought he was funny. That was that was just me.
1: All right, I probably did too. But if I were to watch it again right now, I don't know if I'd have the same reaction. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't I, get to watch that movie because I have to spend all my time watching 250 fucking movies from
2: 1999. So you know we, I'll watch you know that it's movie one, in another year. You know, it's just one movie a week. We can watch other things in that time. Like, I have a other shit ton of things queued up. Jared, um, it's 2020. Two things can't be true at the same <laughs> time anymore. You have to pick
1: one and stick with it. We'll see how this goes.
2: We'll see how this goes.
1: You can't see his face, but he's looking at me in a very particular <laughs> kind of way right now.
2: Ah, um, okay, so let's, before we start to kind of wind this down and uh, lead into our interview, which I'll then, at this point, piece in from this. Um, let's talk about are there, you mentioned earlier that there were. Certain films on this list that you had not seen and that you were excited for, uh, pick a couple of them and just kind of talk about like what's exciting uh, about the prospect of seeing them, and I'll I'll do the same.
1: Okay, I'll just I'm gonna scroll down the list and I'm gonna point to some things that I've never seen, that people have always said that I should see. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean that's one way thing. to do it. So, I've never seen Cruel Intentions, which is Neither supposed to be fucking fantastic. Yeah. I have never seen. The King and I, which is oh, yeah, supposed to be, like, a groundbreaking kind of movie. I I mean, this is just stuff that came out in the first couple months of the year. Yeah. Right? Like, I've never seen Never Been Kissed.
2: Yeah, a I've lot never of the romantic seen... comedies.
1: Honestly, I don't know if I've seen the original Mummy. I know I've seen the sequel. I don't know if what? I've seen the Mummy.
2: Oh, it's one of my favorite movies. It's one of my absolute favorite movies. It's... Uh... It's, when we do the episode, I'll tell you the moment when I knew I was like, this is going to be a fantastic movie because it's, it's so campy, but also really well done.
1: Don't tell me anything else. I want to be, I want to be surprised. I want to be like, I'm going to the theater with my popping corn and my soda. Fantastic. And I want to experience it.
2: Yeah. I've never
1: seen the Blair Witch. I think that's honestly one of the ones I'm most excited about because- I was like obviously nine or ten years old when it came out and I was a little chicken shit child (laughs) and I didn't want to watch it. And then I spent most of my life being a little chicken shit adult as well. And I finally started watching horror movies like two years ago. So I'm ready to go back and experience that one um, and talk about how it affected everything that came after it from like Cloverfield to, um, you know, any of those found footage kind of things. I'm, I'm pumped for that yeah: There's too many to list man. Double yeah. Jeopardy. I've never seen Double Jeopardy. What the fuck? I need to see that. Neither have I. So I'm what yeah, why am I excited? Because I am, dude. I like watching movies. I'd nerd out on this shit. If I wasn't excited about watching these movies, I wouldn't want to talk about them or do any of this shit. So yeah. that's just it's just me. I'm, I'm pumped,
2: dude.: Yeah. I am currently very excited to watch Magnolia which I've heard about for years, and it's just, it's supposed to be such a strange and compelling movie. It was the second film Paul Thomas Anderson did after Boogie Nights, and it was just, it was almost a dramatically different movie, and it got a lot of, I I think this is another one that didn't necessarily do amazing at the box office, but it has been regarded in years later as, like, a very groundbreaking film, something that is very compelling and dark and interesting. Um, I'm very excited to see it for the first time. Um, I'm really excited, if I'm looking at the December list of films that came out, um, I'm really excited to see Man on the Moon, which was the film where Jim Carrey plays Andy Kaufman from Saturday Night Live. I'm surprised
1: Um, that you picked that one out of the December list, because you know what else came out in December? Which one? Deuce Bigelow, Male Gigolo, starring Rob Schneider. (laughs) I
2: forgot about that. Who you seem to have quite the affinity for. (laughs) You know he can do his thing. I he can he can do whatever he wants. He he did his movies and he he got his paycheck and that's he what it is. Can do it? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> Piece of shit. <laughs> oh my god. Um, what else is there? If you um, set me
1: up. I'm gonna spike him right back.
2: <laughs> good. I I wouldn't expect anything less, and I'm glad to hear that. Um. I'm excited to rewatch Dogma again. I've seen it before, but I just I want another reason to watch it again. So I'm very excited about that. As um, you know,
1: Kevin Smith is like my spirit animal. So yeah. Oh, he's I'm right on board with that one. Yeah.
2: Um, I have one that I'm probably gonna get a lot of shit for that I've never seen up to this point. And tell me right now, I've never seen the Iron Giant. Dude, r- fuck you. I know. <laughs>
1: I'm gonna hang up. This is bullshit. <laughs>
2: I'm so excited to finally watch it. I um I put it off for years. I don't know why. I love Brad Bird. I love he who obviously went on to uh come into Pixar and do the Incredibles series and is an amazing director and writer. Um and this was his breakthrough and for some reason I never I, I don't I legitimately don't know why I never saw it. And I'm sad that I never saw it, but I am very excited to get a chance to finally sit down and really not only watch it for the first time, but talk about it because I think that's another one that really has an impact on uh, pretty much animation and the way storytellers kind of tell stories through the animation medium today. And oh, dude. Undoubtedly. I think, yeah. I think it was one of the first times that it kind of showed that um, you could tell a little bit more Bit of a darker story because obviously Toy Story was very influential because it was the first computer animated film. It broke the medium in terms of what people could do with animation and it gave characters. Al- I mean, Disney was already doing that, but it showed like, oh, you can do a movie on a computer, but uh, you can also give the characters heart. And I think that The Iron Giant, from everything that I know about it, from what I've trailers I've seen, from clips that I've seen, it was kind of the first time that a major film studio released an animated film that was a little bit on the darker side and a little bit more of a dramatic piece. And I think that kind of pushed the envelope. I mean, that's why they, that film was one of the reasons why Pixar was like, we need to bring this guy onto our team. And then the Incredibles I think was the first PG rated, um, Pixar film. Speaking of animation, the South Park film, (laughs) um, also came out this year, which will be another fun rewatch. It was, It's still probably one of the most offensive <laughs> films of all time, and it's. Yeah, you you want to fucking... talk
1: about some dark animated yes, shit? Yes, exactly. South Park, bigger, longer, and uncut. And uncut.
2: Even I mean, the title alone is enough that it's just. It already tells you this is going to be one of the most offensive things you've ever seen in your life, um, but it still is. I think what's funny is that I saw this film, I saw that film for the first time in college, and then I saw it again five years later, and I still laughed. First off, I saw it like 15 years after it came out, like 10 to 15 years after it first came out, and I was laughing hysterically. And then I saw it again after school, which is after another four years, and it was still just as funny to me, and I found that to be really impressive of how timeless the comedy they had. Obviously, yes, there's a bunch of dick jokes and fart jokes and all of that. But And those don't get old. No, they don't get old. Because
1: we still have dicks and farts today.
2: But the concept that they made for this, for that movie, was so it, it's, it was kind of the syndrome of, like you said, of 1999 where everybody kind of wanted to get something in but, uh, before the de- the millennium was over. But they were kind of like, all right, we've made the TV show where we really don't give a shit what you say or do to us. So here's a movie that where we really don't give a shit what you say or do to us. I don't even want to think about how many times they had to submit it to the MPAA to get it revised. I want to know how many cuts they had to do of that film before they were like – can you we'll read give the you an title? R, just fuck off.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's bigger, longer, and uncut. They obviously didn't do any cuts of any kind, Jared. <laughs> Otherwise, they'd be lying, and that's bad. We'll
2: have to see how it goes. Um, okay, so uh, we're going to wrap this episode up. We did our interview with Brian Raftery, author of Best Movie Year Ever. We broke down what the show is going to be uh, and kind of the structure of it, as well as some of the things we're excited about. Um, that's pretty much all I've got on my end. I'm excited. I'm really excited to do this. I know that life is very, very, very weird right now. And I hope it gets to a point where we can do this in person and we can make a studio and all the stuff like that. And, um, I personally like having a safe distance from you,
1: but (laughs) if we do get to that point where we get to be in the same room, I will, uh, I will come to terms with that when it happens. (laughs) It's good to know.
2: Um, yeah, I'm, overall, I'm just really excited to do this. This is a nice, fun thing to do. I think the thing that also got me very interested in doing this and talking about the year in 1999, I feel like we could have picked any year in the 90s or even in the 80s to talk about this. I, f- I think there's a number of influential years of cinema, but I like that we're starting here. And I like that we're starting here because it reminds me of... A bit of a simpler time even though you you list it off there were some shitty things that happened in that year yeah there were also a lot of we were
1: good I mean we were kids so we didn't know about that shit so it was
2: simpler for us for sure for yeah that I guess that yeah that's more what I was trying to I guess relay the word I mean there's been shitty things going on since the dawn of time but in terms of what it (laughs) meant for us that's so grim (laughs) Am I
1: wrong? You're not wrong, but it's a Thank you. <laughs>
2: um I think that the 90s for a lot of people are very nostalgic because a lot of us and a lot of people that this podcast is really geared toward were kids when this started out. And uh it just things were so are I think I feel like the millennial generation is very I mean, we grew up in the 90s, and then automatically we've now been through two recessions. We've been through September 11th. We've been through Columbine. We've been through all of these weird things before any of us have even, like, had a chance to buy a house or even look into that, which, as time goes, I don't know how that is going to work out for a lot of people unless we move to, like, the middle of, like, bumfuck nowhere um, where houses are next to nothing. But, um and that means you're away from all your friends and family. So I don't, I don't really know. Hey, we're the away bottom... from all our friends and family right now, anyway. So, well, you know what I mean. Hoop like, literally, the shit. <laughs> fuck them. Fuck them. <sighs> it seems to be, yeah. Just I... fuck them. Yeah. Um. I think it's just going to be nice to revisit some of the things that we grew up with, some of the things that were going on and learning more about them in terms of film. Like, I remember my parents coming home from movies when I was a kid, and they would say, and I would say, like, what would you go see? And they're like, well, we're going to see a movie called uh, The Blair Witch Project, or or we rented Magnolia or something like that. It's like, I remember the names, but I never knew what the films were up until... uh, a couple years ago when I saw Dogma, I remember my only memory of that film when I was a kid was my parents, I remember ca- coming home, and they were like, that movie was weird. <laughs> and that was that was the only, and they were like, it was great, but it was weird. And that was the only thing that I carried with me, and then I saw it, and I was like, this is amazing. This is one of the I coolest mean, things I've ever seen. That's
1: pretty much what my parents
2: say about me, is it? <laughs> I'm weird, great, <laughs> but weird. Yeah. So... There we go. All right. Um, well, we are going to leave and close this episode out. We will. Yeah, now that be we back- just
1: listed off all kinds of sad shit, you guys can fuck off now and just go <laughs> think about that until Jeez. next time when you come back and we actually talk about something funny.
2: We're going to make this happier. We're going to make this a lot more fun. We're just being cynical because we've all been inside for what, 50 days now at this point? We've lost track. There are, there are no days anymore. There's but, just and, yeah. an ongoing continuum of times. It's like that episode of The Twilight Zone where Burgess Meredith. Uh, did you ever see that where he's like the the guy who likes to read, and then the world basically explodes outside? Did I did I ever
1: see like the most popular and widely referenced episode of Twilight Zone? Yes.
2: Okay, I'm just making no, sure. I'm just fucking with you. I th- actually, there's I think some, the
1: airplane episode. With yeah, William Shatner,
2: probably with the most popular. There. The, so there's there's this episode it's where it's and it's been parodied in several cartoons and things over the years but he's this guy who basically like he ends up in a a bunker of some kind and then the world basically he walks out of it um after he hears an explosion and the whole world is basically just like flatland annihilated he thinks he's gonna die and then uh he turns and there's just there's like scattered remnants of a library with like Every book known to man he loves to read, everybody gives him a ton of shit about it because they're like, you're wasting your time reading, It's we're blah, blah, blah. Reading fucking sucks, you stupid yeah, but, intellectual
1: asshole. That's basically what it was. Is All the biffs of the world being angry.
2: There's basically, the point of that is there's no time. Uh, time is completely irrelevant for him at that point, other than the sun rising and the sun setting. And I feel like we're almost in that. I mean, we're not, but. Yeah,
1: was this the, just sorry, your way of trying to bring this back to libraries again at the end? Yes, because I know how God much you want it. people to go out and support their fucking <laughs> local library.
2: Support your local library. It's a hive of be a...
1: fucking coronavirus, but sure, go read a yeah, book right, that thirty other well, people right, have touched.
2: Right now, it's. I'm not saying use it right now. I'm saying, um, use it when you can. Eh, I don't know. Just go to the fucking library, all right, people. Make Jared happy, <laughs> go to the library, sit there, read some shit, come back, listen to us, boom. Should we sign this off as uh, with Be Kind Rewind, or do you think that the last remaining blockbuster will slap us with a lawsuit?
1: No, I think that's perfect.
2: All right, cool. All right, guys, next week we're going to do Star Wars Episode One with uh, a very special guest, which we'll announce leading up to the show. Um, go and watch the film. You can find it if you... Uh, go on to Disney Plus. All the Star Wars films are streaming there. Um, And that episode, I believe, will be up the following week once we record all of these and get all of the audio adjusted and everything. Um, And then, yeah. So uh, we'll sign this off. Be kind, Rewind. We will see you next week. See you later, guys.
0: Coming soon to theaters.
2: to the prophecy of the one who will bring balance to the Force. You believe it's this
0: boy? He can see things before they happen.
1: He can help you.
0: The Force is unusually strong with him.
1: He was meant to help you. Anakin!
0: Come on to take off! Will I ever see you again? What does your to tell you? Are you sure about this? Trusting our fate to a boy we hardly know? Anakin Skywalker, meet
2: Obi-Wan Kenobi. I sense much fear in you. The boy is dangerous. They all sense it, why can't you? Fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering.